Hello, beautiful humans. You bet it's new. And now, on with the show. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Billy Billy Broadcast. This episode, as every episode, is brought to you by Patreon. If you sign up for my Patreon, you get two tier options. The $5 option gives you the opportunity to vote on what my podcast subjects will be. And the people have spoken. This week, everybody wanted to hear about the loss of tinkering and how it is affecting our ability to collect. So without further ado, let's just jump into it. Now, for those of you who are new to me on TikTok or Instagram or what have you, um, I originally started out my TikTok uh, fixing phonographs, which I'm planning on getting another one from eBay very soon and fixing it on TikTok for you all to see. And what I found over the years is that not many people tinker anymore. And what do I mean by tinkering? I literally mean pulling things apart, learning how they work and putting them back together. Now, I've always been like that since a ch- I was very young. Uh, I would irritate the living crap out of my parents because I would constantly be taking things apart, um, trying to figure out how to put them back together. I was a huge Tetris player. Um, I love anything that has to do with puzzles or shapes, uh, strategy, and I find tinkering to just be like a live version of a strategy game. <laughs> um, and as I grew, you know, into adulthood, um, I was attracted to all sorts of different interesting mechanical items uh, that I would love to get to work again. Um, And I recently, in the past year, have started tinkering with phonographs. So in tinkering with phonographs, I came across something that shocked me. And I had already known about it, but it was just hammered home. Uh, For phonographs, you have to use steel needles. And for every play of an album, you have to change the needle, which means you go through a lot of them if you play your phonograph a lot. So, of course, me being the way I am, I go through them like hotcakes. And I ordered some. And the only place I could find them for really, really cheap one day, because my my normal, you know, steel needle plug uh, didn't have any in stock. So I called somebody all the way out in California. And uh, we were... talking to each other over email and I guess he thought I was a guy a lot of people see Billy and I guess it doesn't register that I'm a woman and that's fine whatever and something was going on with my credit card and I was like let's just talk over the phone and try to figure it out so he calls me and he was like is Billy there I'm like that's me he got very confused he was like I'm sorry you're the person who's working on a phonograph I said yes and he's like I'm sorry, are you a woman? I said, yes, I am. He goes, oh my gosh, and you sound young. I said, yes, I'm 29. And he goes, oh my God, I'm, I'm pushing 70. I said, oh, interesting. I said, I, I didn't realize it was a shock. I, I'm sorry, is, do you not get a lot of women who, who, you know, are trying to buy phonograph materials? He goes, no, it's not that. I said, I don't have anybody young. And it took me a second. I was like, you don't have anybody young. And I was thinking back to earlier in the year when I was trying to fix my first phonograph and trying to find information and there just wasn't that much out there. That was modern information of how to properly rip apart a phonograph and put it back together. So, of course, what did I do? Uh, My first one I did myself. I pretty much ripped apart on my own and figured it out and tinkered along the way. Met a bunch of really cool guys that, you know, helped me a little bit here and there if I just had an off-the-wall question. But all of them were over the age of 65, 
And you know, I, I guess it didn't hit me until I called for extra needles that, oh my gosh, nobody tinkers anymore. Well, of course they don't. And here's why. I talked a little bit about this a few podcasts ago, but back during the Industrial Revolution, people had a little bit of money and products were being made very well. And that was because if your product wasn't made well, you were out of business. Uh, Somebody else could probably wind up doing it better. Labor was cheap. More people were getting jobs, so on and so forth. Well, the wars happened, uh, specifically World War II, um, and there was a lot of rationing of products and things of that nature. And of course, right after World War II, there was a giant economic boom. With that economic boom, people were now buying more products than ever. Same thing happened back in the Industrial Revolution was now happening again, but on a 100 times greater scale. You had the opportunity of choice, which wasn't a thing that they had had for about a decade prior. And then, of course, during the Great Depression, you didn't have that either. So really, the last time Americans had really strong availability of materials had been, oh gosh, 30 years before the war uh, during the 20s. And now that, you know, these people who were children back then, now full-fledged adults, getting jobs, not going off to war, having multiple sources of income, could buy whatever they wanted. And at this time, these products were very, very well made. Because if you weren't making it well, somebody else would make it well, and they would sell it after you. And of course, you always had warranty packs that would come with that. But people back then who were making products also made their products to be able to be fixed at home. Um, people were much more eager to fix their own issues with specifically mechanical things. So cars, ovens, mixers, uh, mixing stands, hand mixers, uh, treadmills back in the day, um, hair dryers, uh, bonnet dryers. I could go on forever. Anything with a motor or anything that dealt with uh, cogs could easily be fixed at home with materials you could find around you. Well, in the late 1950s, early 1960s, plastics started becoming more prevalent within the home. Another big development was also disposable housewares. I'm talking instead of putting a lid on your casserole, you were now putting tin foil on your casserole. Instead of putting a lid on a bowl, now bowls were being sold without lids and you could put saran wrap over it. Uh, Toothbrushes were now made of plastic. You had dental floss that was now made of plastic, and plastic was cheap. So if you broke something, you just replaced it. And the idea shifted away from you buy something once and you learn how to fix it and you maintain it to we have all of this money, and if it's broken, we can just buy a new one instead of using you know the mental strain to learn how to do this or paying someone to do it for us. Now, the cross-section on a graph between these two issues intersects right around this time. The cost of mechanical labor goes up as the prevalence of those mechanics that need to be fixed go down. Supply and demand was a very real thing. Right around like 1968 to 1975 is where the big intersection comes. You could get your car fixed pretty much on the cheap. Was it as cheap as it was maybe 10 years ago, um, even with inflation? No, uh, but it was still, you know, feasible, doable. You could, yeah, fix my car. But then you had your housewares, and nobody was looking to fix those. Because what's the easiest way to get somebody to buy into something? 
harp on convenience. And even from the mid 40s all the way through the 60s, you were having a very big influx of the 2.5 kids, white picket fence, uh, living in the suburbs, nuclear family dreamscape that people were being fed on the mass market of wanting to always have the newest, latest thing. And instead of putting money towards something that would maybe last 30 years, they would rather have the newest, coolest thing. Line that up with cheaper plastic prices and overseas manufacturing coming into play and you have a crockpot of economic disaster. This is also around the time where the idea of going to a four-year college was really taking off and it was affordable. Keep in mind, back then in the 50s, 60s, 70s, being a mechanic, um, doing house labor, things like that were looked down upon as a blue-collar job. Labor was seen as lower class. Well, when you start automating things and taking people out of the labor force, giving them pretty cheap four-year you know, university educations, um, barring, of course, there were some economic issues leading up to that being cheap, but we'll do that for another podcast. But you have these four years degrees being super cheap and everybody's saying, I want you to be a doctor. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to be this, that. I want you to be a business person. And these types of jobs get overshadowed and people aren't really, you know, needed as much. But you know, that intersection, that graph I was talking about earlier, as the need for labor goes down, Inevitably, the things that do wind up needing labor, the price of that skyrockets because now you have a depletion of the workforce. You have nobody that knows how to fix a car anymore or a certain car. You have nobody that knows how to properly build a brick house from scratch. You now no longer have anybody who can take your stand mixer, pull it apart, fix it and put it back together and keep it working for another 40 years. And the pricing of even hiring those people in the first place is now astronomical. And with the invention of plastic appliances, now why would you do that anyway? Why would you call somebody when you can just get another hand mixer, say, you know, back then at Dillard's or Macy's for half the price it would cost to have somebody to come fix your other thing that, you know, by the way, isn't this season's color anywho. So why would I want to keep it in my kitchen? And of course, then you go into the 80s where we have another, you know, 70s, little bit of war um, economics not doing quite as well as they were right after World War II. Um, go into the 80s, little bit of war there too. But the economics are starting to ramp up again. And then through the late 80s, early 90s, ramping up again. And people are finding even more convenience items. And this can also be said for food items too. Um, a lot of quote unquote specialty foods that you see now used to be a dime a dozen. When I say back in the day, I mean like around the 50s, 60s. Uh, but now they're super expensive. Why? Because nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people aren't looking to be making things from scratch anymore. They are more oft looking to have something of convenience. Cake mixes weren't a thing until the 50s. <laughs> like legitimate cake mixes. There were a few mixes back in the 30s and 40s that were kind of adorable in my opinion, but they weren't very fancy. They were like jiffy muffins and stuff like that but I'm talking like the fancy cake mixes like Ghirardelli level cake mixes came in right in the 50s you could make a whole meal out of a box and some water and maybe an egg and so why would you why would you go out of your way 
to make this other thing. And now it's it's same issue with food. But convenience has become much less convenient. So how does that affect the way that we collect in modern times? When you take away the people who know how to properly care for, fix, or take care of certain items, um, the availability of those items to be used again drops significantly. Let me put it this way. When I search for a phonograph to refurbish, I am searching for the broken ones. Why? They're usually sold extremely cheap. My cheapest one I've ever bought was $25. A fully functioning one sells on eBay for $500 to $700. Why is that? Because finding somebody who knows how to properly fix and calibrate them is hard. And so when you have one, what do you do? You toss it or you try to sell it for $25 on eBay, hoping that someone who knows how to fix it could maybe take it off your hands. But collecting these things when they're broken, you just all of a sudden are now what? Spending even more money to fix it to be what you want it to be. It has created this massive economic divide in many collector spheres. Uh, phonographs is a huge one. I know people who have bragged online about having a Victrola that they spend $750 on right off the market. And I'm like, that's because somebody literally sat in their home <laughs> and refurbished the entire thing from scratch, which is what I do. And or you've got people who take calcified Pyrex and they spend hours and hours cleaning their Pyrex. By the way, I'm doing a, if you guys want to join my Patreon, I'm actually uh, releasing a video this weekend about how to properly clean and care for your Pyrex. Um, but you've got other things, glassware put back together, jewelry people. When you take away these specialty people, uh, they become even more special and needed eventually. But, you know, in the moment with capitalism, nobody thinks about that. We've also seen this really huge, you know, even more so, it's bumping up again. You must have a four-year degree from a university in a business, blah, blah, major, blah, blah, on and on forever. And I feel there is a major shift afoot. What do I mean? Four-year degrees are getting more and more financially unreachable and also unneeded. The jobs we need most right now are not four-year college degree-based. Truck drivers easily make over $100,000 a year if they own their own rig. Paid your plumber lately? My electrician charges $200 an hour. My handyman charges $100 an hour. Nannies make a crap ton of money. Limo drivers too. Welders hit that $150K mark if you're doing anything offshore. And don't start me on fishermen. My mechanic might as well steal my wallet at this point. As four-year degrees become more and more unreachable, we're going to see an influx of people going to trade school, which is what we need. The United States cannot function solely off of lawyers or business analysts or accountants or, you know, the list, the lists, the lists go on forever. But trades are coming back in. The need for products that last longer is coming back in. I know it's hard to see. I know it's hard to tell, especially with all the commercials bombarding us with plastic garbage everywhere all the time and people not taking into consideration just how much crap they accumulate in a year. But I do promise you there are a lot more companies right now looking at ways to either be sustainable 
you know, and be able to be recycled or on the flip side, making stuff that's going to last 30 to 50 years minimum. With this influx of products that are going to last us a long time, we are also going to see an influx of people that know how to fix them and keep them running for those 30 to 50 years. What am I saying? Tinkering is coming back in. All of these things that we see on the market right now, if you're collecting that are mechanic-based or mechanical in any way, um, are now going to start popping up more because instead of tossing them in the dumpster, uh, when, say, James finds his father's Victrola in the attic, instead of selling it for, you know, little pennies here and there because he doesn't know how to fix it and being sad that he's losing an heirloom because he doesn't have the money to, you know, pay someone to repair it, he might know how to repair it himself. Or if he does have to hire somebody to repair it, it's going to be a lot cheaper in the coming years, of course. But currently, as it sits right now, we are in this really weird, I guess, inverted bell curve. <laughs> uh, we, we don't have enough people to fix our crap. So people who love convenience are just throwing away things that don't work instead of trying to figure out how to fix them first. If you've got kids, get them interested in STEM, get them interested in mechanics, get them interested in physics. I guarantee you it has an impact. If you know how to fix cars, show your kids how to fix cars. Hell, learn together. Of course, my fascination with tinkering with things originally started with my father and my grandmother, but I was a huge, huge fan being very small even, I think I started at like three years old of making Rube Goldberg machines. I love, 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 love cause and effect and reactionary, you know, mechanics. If your kids are playing around and messing up your pots and pans and stealing random items and whatever, trying to learn about action and reaction, please, 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 I beg you do not stifle them. If you have a moment, sit down with your kids and teach them about cause and effect. It will spark something in them no matter what their interests are, I promise. The more we don't teach the people we love about the things around us that we know about and they may not know about is another item left to the dust that could have been saved. The idea that there are certain items among us uh, that you will find in museums right now because you can't find them anymore, uh, even more rare, so in working condition, breaks my heart. Because the things that are put in museums and seen as items from our past could have easily been items of our present if we had just taken the time and consideration to keep them working. Some things wouldn't even be collectible if we had kept them working in the first place. And I know a lot of people collect things in broken states and don't fix them at all. It's imperative that we take control now and make sure that we are taking care of things from the, you know, yesteryear, anything before 1975 because everything after 1975 just can't cut it it can't stick around and holding on to pieces of our history that uh, are quickly you know falling off the landscape is imperative to teaching our future generations how things were and how things could be there is a reason why classic car mechanics in my opinion are hands down the best mechanics in the world they can fix a modern car like nobody else. Why? They have taken the time, care, and consideration to study its predecessor in a way that only someone who gives a shit <laughs> can. 
And I'm not saying that we need to go back in time and be like we were in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Au contraire, mon frere, I am of the opposite thought process. Innovation cannot take place without a deep root in history. You cannot make new things unless you know about the old things that have already been done. Otherwise, you just keep rediscovering the same thing over and over again and wasting time that could have been spent finding something new. Without learning about history, we are doomed to repeat ourselves. And the idea that we are coming up on such a economic boom after COVID is over and innovation and invention is going to take over, my desperate hope is that those who are starting to invent not necessarily find things new, but improve upon the things that have already been done. My hope is that they decide to go with longevity over convenience. My hope is they choose sustainability over ease. But my biggest hope of all is that the people who have recently been born and will be born in the next decade will have a world that is much better than it is right now been this episode of the billy billy broadcast thank you for joining me as always you can catch me on tiktok at billy billy b you can catch me on patreon at www.patreon.com backslash billy billy b catch me on instagram at underscore billy billy b underscore and i've got a couple of really exciting things coming up everybody will be made privy and aware of them come around march 6th or 7th As always, y'all have been great. I love you. I'll see ya. Bye.